on on Thursday nights we've been talking about his purpose and the and the process of purpose. And so because it is a process, like in the Garden of Eden, when you read Genesis chapter one, we find out that Abraham, I'm walking toward the fan. <laughs> Abraham or Abraham. Adam Adam was created in innocence. And he had his purpose was, this is what I believe, his purpose was to take that Garden of Eden and spread it all over the world and then to all the other planets and then beyond. And so the seed started there. And when God created him in Genesis chapter one, the first thing you notice in Genesis one, two is that the earth became without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and and the Holy Spirit hovered upon the waters and and he didn't create things in chaos. And so he the first thing that he did is he brought order back into the planet, created cosmos instead of chaos. So then he makes man in his image and in his likeness. In just 126 through 28. And the word that he uses, I think I shared this last week, is the word bara. And it means to create something from nothing that you can see. But then in uh, Genesis 2 and verse 7, it says that he formed man from the dust of the earth. And the word that he uses there is yatsar. And so he, he molded a man, indicating that he was a first of all spiritual and then physical. And so he, he uh, had a physical body, but he also had a spiritual body. And the way that he was created, his spirit was Lord over his soul and his body. But when man fell, it became body, soul, and a dead spirit. And so we can see how, but then it's interesting too, that when he created the woman in Genesis chapter two, he used a different word. He used the word bana, B-A-N-A, and it means to build. And so women are built, <laughs> and men were formed. But, but really, the woman, the, the fact that she was prime rib, taken from a rib, rib of Adam, I mean, he could, he could have got the DNA so many ways, but he took it that way to let you know that she's a support system. And I was thinking about that today. If it weren't for the women, I don't know if the church would have survived. Because still to this day, pride keeps men from being all that they need to be, and women are a lot freer than that, it seems to me. Yeah. Side note, by the no side note though, by the way, praise and worship. Yeah. It reminded me of a time when we came back from the Philippines and we had to stop in Hawaii three times when we came back. Was, you know, suffering, suffering. <laughs> And I walked out onto Waikiki Beach from the back door of the hotel, and I heard this little three-piece band playing up the beach. And I stayed there for, I think Pastor Paul and I, we stayed there for a long time. And uh, because it was so tight. And, like, I didn't know Dana could play the bass like that until, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, but everything, like, because you guys have been playing together during this pandemic, it's, it's like it's brought that. And the anointing is going up every time, every time. Like Ashton has been flowing and going, right? Praise the Lord. So 
So yeah, so it's, it's, it's all been good. Anyway, meanwhile, back in the Garden of Eden, Adam, of course, uh, he was innocent, but he wasn't perfect. Because, because just like you are, you know, we, we talked about this, Colossians 2.10 says that you're complete in him who's the head of all principality and power. And that's true in the spirit. But now the natural part has to, there's a process involved in the natural part. And so Adam's, Adam had a, you know, the whole Bible is about two Adams, the first one, the last one, uh, two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life or, the, or, the, or Calvary, the cross. And, and, uh, and, and as you begin to look at it, there's two gardens, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. And Adam wouldn't, wouldn't go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He wanted his own will and he wanted his own way. And so then, then when you read in Genesis chapter 3, you find out that God put up a veil to keep Adam out of the garden. And we think that it was a punishment, but it wasn't. It was for our, his protection because our God is a consuming fire. And if he had to run and embrace his son, sin would have consumed him. Or if he had left him in the garden, he'd, let, he'd been in that fallen state for all of eternity. So he was rescued. That's why the cutting of the shedding of blood and the covering with the skins and all of that. And that's why he was put out of the garden. And that veil that he put up, you can follow that old Pastor Paul and I were talking about that today. That veil was seen when they built the tabernacle in the wilderness. The Holy of Holies could only be going into once a year by the high priest twice on one day on Yom Kippur. He could go in there and he had bells in, uh, beside the pomegranates around the bottom of his ankles and, and a rope tied around his ankle. Because if he went in and he wasn't right, if he hadn't gone through the process, he'd drop dead and they'd drag him out. <laughs> you know, but now, come on, Hebrews 4.16 says we can come boldly. We don't know what we got. The veil, you know, when Jesus rent that veil, finally rent that veil, uh, when he rose from the grave, that was like, now I can get to my man. Yeah, you can come in, but yeah, I can get out too. I'm not going to be contained in a, in a box and carried around by the priest anymore. He said, I'll be in you, walk in you and be in you and you'll be my God. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. So Adam got removed from the garden. Because, because he had he he had dropped the ball. He had not gone through the process. So he went from like when you study the dispensations, he went from innocence to conscience. After that came human human government and so on. The seven dispensations of man. But it was a process. Then when you get to Luke chapter two, you find out that Jesus, you know, the Son of God. Philippians 2, 5 said he says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Neither do you, by the way an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. He thought himself not to be equal with God, but, but made himself, made himself, he made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a man and being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself to the death on the cross. And so we see that he had to go through a process, even though he was, the son of God, he put off his deity and took on humanity. And we can read, we'll pick it up in Luke chapter two and take a look at Jesus. So even though, and again, this may offend some folks. If you're watching live stream, check it out for yourself. Jesus was not perfect. 
He was innocent, just like Adam. He was innocent, and he had to go through the process. He was innocent, but he came, from a, he came out of a, the womb of a woman, and so he certainly wasn't perfect. But he was innocent. He knew no sin. He, God, made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we'd be made the righteousness of God in him. He didn't make any mistakes. But he still had to grow through a process. And we can pick it up here in Luke chapter 2. And I'll give you the law of process. I probably gave it to you last Thursday. So the law of process, and it is a law just like gravity or like the laws of thermodynamics and things like that. It's a law. There's no way that a baby gets born and drives a car. There's no way that a baby gets born and goes to high school. There is a, even though they're created with everything they need, they still have to go through the process. Through exercise and use, they begin to develop themselves and, and so on. And, and this is the thing that I have noticed. I remember hearing Kenneth E. Hagin one time saying he had, you know, he was later on in years and he said, I've reached the second phase of my ministry. And I'm thinking, dear God, if he's only missed the second phase, help me, Jesus. But I'd be further along if I had died quicker. No, no, I'm telling you, like some of the things that, that helped me were some of the bad things that happened that caused me to die. I'm still in the process. Paul the Apostle said, I, I die daily. There's something about dying, like, you know, so when you wake up in the morning, it's resurrection morning every morning. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, but the more you're willing to die, the more you get changed into the image of God. And, you know, today there's so much opportunity to get offended by everything because the whole world is offended. And, and somehow we have to navigate through this and be the ones that, that walk in love and, and, and realize that it's not flesh and blood, but it's principalities and powers. Realize that the devil is trying to destroy the earth. The law of process is progress, to progress, to advance, gradual changes that lead you forward. Remember the first time you used a clutch in a car? <laughs> Oh, God, please don't make me have to stop on a hill. <laughs> the gas pedal halfway down and the clutch halfway out. And just open, you can get, get come on, light change. No, but you, now, you, the, now the things that you had to learn, you don't even think about them now. You'll drive for hours and not even realize you were driving a vehicle. You're just off somewhere else. Your mind doesn't have to be focused on it anymore because you've developed. So that is the process that you went through that, that led you forward. It's a series of steps that lead to change. It brings a result or a destination. And so understanding that, understanding that you were deployed, understanding like in Jeremiah 1 and verse 5, Jeremiah, before you were knit together in your mother's womb, I knew you. John 1, nine. he lights every spirit that comes into the world. So you were deployed here. The day you were born, you were sent here. Yeah, but I was illegitimate. No, you weren't. God got you in here on purpose and for a purpose. And he, the purpose was already here. Now he wants to unlock your potential by you going through the process. But here, here's one of the things that have hindered me as well and may have hindered you. I live in a drive-through society. 
you know, I'm an Americano drinking Christian serving a decaf God. He's not in any hurry. He doesn't do anything in a rush. Why? Because he's already been to the end. Like, you know, I watched a couple of football games that I saved when the New England Patriots lost the Super Bowl. I saved them and I watched them. I totally enjoy them because I know the outcome. And not only that, I can wind it back and watch Brady get sacked again and again and again. And so, so no, I've been to the end and so I can enjoy the process, right? Patriots fans in the sound booth. <laughs> oh, glory to God. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not from Maine. I'm from Nova Scotia. I can't help myself. Okay. But Jesus, so here's Jesus. He's innocent. God, God, God deploys him into the earth, just like he deployed you. When you got born again, your innocence began, Right? No, so that even when you're wrong, you're right. You've already been forgiven. Okay. That doesn't mean you don't repent. Repent is simply a change of mind. You know, I gotta keep I gotta stop doing that. It hurts me. <laughs> right. <laughs> but look at this in, in, in Luke uh, two verse fifty-two. Jesus himself increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God, and in favor with man. He had to increase. He had to go through the process. But, so now, but let's leap ahead to Luke 22 and find him in the garden. We're looking at the start of the process, and in the garden we see the end of it. See, because everything is already complete in heaven and on earth. But there's a process. Like God already knows your end. Yesterday, Pastor Paul and I, like I said, Pastor Paul, what time's coffee time? And he didn't hit, like, he must have been, like, he bolted out of the door and hit his car started before I even got out from behind my desk. I'm thinking, this is an emergency coffee right here. <laughs> so then we drove over, we're on our way to Dartmouth Crossing to get a coffee. And so Joey's working from his office at home, so we said we might as well pick him up and have a coffee too. We got there. When we got there, we got there just as Tim Hammond was walking out with his cup of coffee. And I looked at that and thought about all of the things that had to happen exactly to, for, to get us there and forget it. And so he sat down and got us a table and everything. But the timing was perfect. And I'm looking at this and God is saying, every detail of your life has worked out, son. Even the things that you don't understand and you think that you missed it. I knew what was going to happen before you did. Yeah. And so we met him there and now he's got a new saxophone. I just feel like we, that was our harvest, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so praise the Lord. But think about all of the things anytime you meet somebody. When you understand that in the Hebrew, there's no such word as coincidence. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing. God's got this. <laughs> it's going to be all right. Yeah, what if I messed up the plan? You did. I can help you right now. You all messed up the plan. 
How can you say that so confidently? Because I can look at my own life and realize how many times it dropped the ball. You practice. You keep practicing. But how far we can go from here is up to us. How far we can go from here is totally up to us. So anyway, now here we are in the Garden of Gethsemane. So everything is complete in heaven and everything is complete on earth, but there's a law of process. Just as in the natural, the child grows up to an adult. Jesus had to go through all of this. Look at this. So he's in the garden. Verse 41, it says that he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. And he said, Father, if you be willing, take this cup from me. I don't, wanna, I don't mind the pain of the whipping. I can take that. I don't mind the dying. I can do that. But it's the sin that separates from me from you that's causing me all this agony. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And that's where he passed the test that Adam failed. That in, in Mark chapter 4 and other places where, you know, Satan came to tempt him, tempted him with the same temptations that he tempted Adam with. But Adam fell, but Jesus didn't. But he, this, but he had to get to this place where he was willing to die. Now let's go to Hebrews 2 and verse 10. We quote this verse all the time. Let's stop and take a look at it for a minute. I mean, tonight, just think about it. You can change everything tonight. No, you can decide tonight. I'm going to do it different. I'm not going to hold any grudges against anybody. I'm not going to talk ugly about anybody. If it's not a blessing, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm just going to walk in love. I'm going to humble myself under the mighty hand of God that he'll exalt me in due time. I'm going to let other people be right even when I know they're wrong because I don't have to prove myself. Mm. Verse 10. Hebrews 2.10. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things to bring many sons. You can write your name in there. Many sons onto glory to make the captain. That Another way to translate that would be the author. He's the author of your salvation, the author and the finisher of your faith. Make the author Make the author, the captain of your salvation, perfect. And again, that's the word telos. And it means to perfect, but it also means to finish. Like it means he's finished. The captain of our salvation, he got finished through the things that he suffered. Well, nobody enjoys that suffering part, but he endured hardship. Like you've been rejected. People didn't treat you right. Jesus, when he talked covenant in John chapter 6, they all left him. Don't tell me he doesn't understand rejection. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, he went through some things. For the joy that was set before him, the Bible says he endured the cross and despised the shame of it. He, he suffered being tempted. My Bible says that he was tempted in all points like as we are and yet without sin. That means like, like he was tempted. Like he was, if he was tempted with everything, then that's exactly what that means. You think you've had bad thoughts and negative thoughts bomb, bomb, bombard your brain? 
He knows exactly what's that, that, what that's like. Even through the temptation of the 40 days in the wilderness, the Bible says that Satan left him for a season. But he was always there, just like he's always there with you. You wake up in the morning and the devil wants to talk to you. You go to bed at night and the devil wants to talk to you. Just don't listen. You know, I was telling myself, don't listen to yourself, Gary, talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. What am I supposed to say? The word of God. Talk the word of God to myself. Overcome evil with good. Amen. So he endured hardship. He didn't endure sickness or any of those kind of things until he went on the cross, but he endured the hardship of rejection. Jesus, your mother and your father are outside. They wouldn't even come to his meetings. His own mother and father and his brothers. Matter of fact, read John's gospel. It says, neither did his brethren believe in him. Your own family didn't believe in you. Can anybody relate to any of that? So don't tell me he doesn't know what it feels like. He does. And that's why he's such a good captain of your salvation. He knows exactly what you're going through. Anyway, Romans chapter 12 is where we need to live. I've preached hours on this. I'm not going to do it tonight. But I want to look at verse 1 and 2, 1 and 2, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, so we know who he's talking to. He's talking to the church. By the mercies of God, covenant kindness, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Just like he presented himself a dead sacrifice, you present yourself a living sacrifice. What does that mean? The Garden of Gethsemane, people, not by will, but thine be done. Yeah, but I don't want to do it that way. No, I don't want to do that. None of you ever say that. You just say, yes, sir, or whatever you say. I'll get around to it. Just remember when you get around to it that he could treat you that way when, when you're praying for something you want right away. I'll get to that later. No, no, God. No, no, no. If you, no, answer quick. That's what made Abraham so special. The Bible says that he uses the word hineni. In the Hebrew, it means that when God said, Abraham, I want you to go offer up your son, he ran to the commandment. He didn't argue. He didn't try to reason it out. He didn't try to make sense of it. The Bible doesn't make sense. God doesn't make sense of things. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It's wholly acceptable unto God. And then he goes on to say, and you got nothing to brag about. No, no, I remember when I first got saved, man, I'm saying, hey, God, here I am going to church for you. What are you going to do for me? I really thought that. I thought that. I did. I thought going to church was such a big deal. I'm doing you a favor, God. <laughs> I know, stupid. I know. But the next part says, and be not conformed. And that's the word I want you to see because it's, it's the word metamorphosis. I don't want you to be conformed to this word, but transformed. It's the word metamorpho, to be transformed, to mean, it means to change into another form. God wants to change you into another form. He wants you to be, because he, the glory that's going to be poured out upon the earth is going to be displayed through you. And the glory is coming to, to metamorpho you. 
You're going to be hit with such glory that change is going to happen rapidly. And if you learn how to flow with it instead of resisting it, like even Kenneth E. Hagin, you know, one of the high, high, you know, high respect for the man. He said that when the, God began to move on him one time, he got so far out there that he was afraid he wouldn't get back. And when he got afraid, it stopped. Just like that. And he never got back there again. So you're going places that no one other than the early church has ever been before. You know, when, Paul, when Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2 and said, this is that spoken by the prophet Joel, better to say, this is the beginning of that. You are the end of that. The, the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former house, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So he says that you'll be transformed. How? How, the, how am I going to do that? How is this change going to take place? It's on me. By the renewing of my mind. So if I'm looking on Facebook and reading all the junk, that's not renewing my mind. My mind is renewed when I think the spirit is love, joy, peace. Is is it love? No. If it's not love, then I don't need to be partaking. Is it bringing me joy? Is it bringing me peace? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance? Or is it disturbing my peace and agitating me because I'm looking at what the devil's doing instead of focusing on what God's about to do? It's just a change of focus. The devil wants everybody focused. You know, we walked into the the Micmac uh, beverage room when it first opened up last week. And, man, they hit me in the forehead with a a temperature thing to make sure I was okay to go in there. And I thought about it afterwards. They're never going to do that to me again. Because they're training people for the mark of the beast, and the church isn't even, even aware of it. Put a mask over your face so you can't talk to him. No, no, no. Watch, and there's some subtleties that are going on there that are out to steal your freedom. And when it's gone, it, it's, it doesn't come back. They're going to tell you what to do and where to sit down and where to stand up. And uh, Hallelujah. Don't, but, don't, but be transformed by renewing your mind, the renewing of your mind by the word of God, by the word of God, so that you can think right. And it's not about knowing the word of God in your head. It's about a revelation in your heart, because you'll never go further than the revelation. The Pharisees knew the word, knew the word, and didn't recognize Jesus when he came. They knew the book, but they didn't have a relationship with the author. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. That you may, renewing your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God for your life. Then then we'll go over to Matthew chapter 17. And please don't misunderstand me. If you're wearing masks for health reasons and stuff like that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a society being trained to take whatever the government says is so. And in Acts 4 and verse 29, my Bible says that the disciples got together and prayed and said, Lord, they're telling us not to preach. They're telling us not to have church. Behold their threatenings and grant unto your servants that with all boldness we may preach your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and letting signs and wonders be done by the name of the Holy One, Jesus. And when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. 
And they preached the word of God with boldness. And multitudes of people got saved. Because the church got bold. Amen. But anyway, in Acts chapter seven, or Matthew chapter 17, it says after six days. Well, you know, a thousand years is a day unto the Lord. So we can look at this as it happened in this day. But it also is a prophecy of the future. And after six days, you can read Luke's account of it, and it says after about eight days, but Rosh Hashanah is a 48-hour day. And so this is, this is accurate right here. And so after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John. This is cool, too, because he had, a, he had lots of disciples. He had 12 that were really up close. He had 70 that he sent out another time, and, I mean, he had bunches. But there were three that pressed into a place. And it wasn't because they were perfect. Read about Peter. No, no, it was a hunger. It was like, I just want, I just want, like, like Joshua. You read about Joshua, and he wouldn't even come down from the mountain. He just stayed at his post. He, he stayed there, stayed there, stayed there, refused to move off, right? So it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up into a mountain, a mountain apart. Now, if you go to Israel with us sometime, they've got a mountain that's called the Mount of Transfiguration. But if you read the Greek, you find out that it was a mountain of his own and it wasn't on this earth. He stepped over into the spirit realm. And, uh, and he was transfigured. There's that word again, metamorpho. He was changed in front of them. He was changed in front of them. The veil was parted. How do you know that? We'll read, we'll see the veil is parted as we read down here. He was transfigured before them. And his face did shine like the sun. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. I think I'll recognize you. I think I'll see some things on you that make me go, wow, what is that? The knowledge of his glory. Come on, Habakkuk 2.14, the knowledge of his glory into all the earth. Revelation knowledge of his glory. Mm. His face did shine like the sun, and his raiment became white like lightning. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elijah. Moses representing the righteous dead and Elijah representing those that are alive and remain that are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It's all there. And also the two witnesses that you read about in the book of Revelation. It's, so, so, so then answered Peter. I love Peter. God bless Peter. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. We should just pitch three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But while he yet spoke... Behold, the cloud that overshadowed them, and, and behold, a voice came out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son, Peter. I don't want to hear from you right now. This is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. So when the glory lifted, when the veil was lifted, when the veil was lifted, the glory appeared. Why are you teaching this? Because you, you need to be expecting the appearance of the glory now. One more verse, Second Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 6. He said, He made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life, right? And then, and then he goes on to say, let's, that's not what the verse I wanted to read here. I wanted to read. Um, 
How about verse 13? And not as Moses who put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look at the end of the thing that would be abolished, but their minds were blinded for until this day, there remains a veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away with in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their hearts. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But, and, but, we, but we all, with unveiled faces... We all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a glass, the word of God, the glory of the Lord, are changed. There's that word metamorpho again. See, the goal in your life as a Christian is to be totally transformed. No, but, 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 but let, let's read on here. It says, beholding as in a glass or the glory or beholding as in a mirror, the mirror of the word of God, the glory of God. We are changed into what? Into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of God. So everything with God begins in life. All life with God begins in the heart. He's talking about a heart change. So every time I read this Bible and I read something that I'm living crossways to it, if I apply the Bible to my life, it produces a transformation and that I'll know when the transformation is complete. And so will you. Because I'll look just like Jesus. I'll talk just like Jesus. I'll walk just like Jesus. I'll act like just like Jesus. And that was his goal from the start in Ephesians 5. It says that he's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle washed in the blood of the Lamb. And he says that it's washed by the washing of the water by the Word of God. So the Word of God is what cleans you up. The Word of God is what changes you. So you're not conformed to this world, but transformed by renewing your minds by the word of God, so that you can prove the good, the acceptable, the perfect will of God for your life. And Pastor Paul, you're going to finish this right now. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Go to chapter four, verse one, please. Verse one, Pastor Gary was just talking about, <clears throat> he was talking about we're being changed um, from glory to glory. But in chapter four, verse one, therefore, seeing as we have this ministry, Seeing as you have the ministry that you've been called to, we have received mercy and we faint not. Pastor has been talking about purpose. And when he, when he started talking to me about, he said, okay, we're going to tag team. And I thought, man, here's what's going through my mind. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. Now, how do you find yours? How do you find your purpose to what you were purposed Two, right? Pastor said this, purpose is the action. It's the proper function for which a person or a thing exists. It's a fixed design. There's a, we, we have been designed and there's a fixed design that's with us. It, there's an outcome or an idea that's the object of an action or another effort, an intended or desired result. There's a purpose that we are purposed here for. And in Romans 8.28, we, we, we talk about this all the time. Um, it says that we know that all things work together for good. Come on. Everything works together for good. Even this, right where we are right now, this is working together for what? Our good. Why? Because we love God and to them who are the called. We are the called. We are the only ones that are the called. 
Come on. According to what? His purpose. He purposed us on purpose. Passion says, so we are convinced. Come on. We, you need to be convinced that you have a purpose. Now find your purpose. Make this your purpose to find out what your purpose is. Right? <laughs> yeah. So we're convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan. Come on. Of bringing good into our lives, for we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designated purpose. We have been called to fulfill his designated purpose. Jesus had a purpose. And it says in 1 John 3, uh, 3, 8, for this purpose, what purpose? For this purpose was the Son of God manifested. That was his purpose, to destroy the works of the devil, right? But how did he do his purpose? How was he purposing his purpose? Well, in Acts 10, 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing, well, what propelled his purpose? He was going about doing good. And the more good that he did, the more healings that he did, Come on now. This thing, this, it's, it's like, it's steps. Healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. And God is with us. Go to Philippians 2.13, please. Philippians 2.13. For it is God which works in you. Who's working in you? God. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. New Living says, for God is working in you. I love this. Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So the one that's going to give you the desire. He's going to give you the power to do what pleases him. Why? What, what's going to please him the most is you fulfilling your purpose. Amen? John chapter 6, please. John 6. So while you're fulfilling your purpose, think about this. God is going to use what is in your hand. God is going to use what is in your hand and he's going to use what's in your hand to slingshot you towards your purpose. And as you get slingshotted towards your purpose, you're going to find your destiny. Right? There's steps that you have to do, but you got to use what's in your hand first. When pastor asked me to do this, like, I, I live this. Purpose. I purpose to serve Pastor Gary and New Covenant Ministries to, to the point where they had to hire me. I was here all the time. Trying to type, I remember typing up bulletins with two fingers <laughs> on a type a typewriter. <laughs> I couldn't type, but I didn't care. I was like, I'm, hey, I'm doing something for God, right? So in John six uh, verse nine, are you there? It says, "There's a lad here which has five barley loads and two small fishes, but what are they among so many?" And Jesus said, "Make the men sit down." And there was much grass in the place. And so the man sat down in number about 5,000, plus women, plus children, so 30,000 people probably. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples and to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, filled, filled. Come on, five loaves and two small fish. They were filled. And he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and, fulfilled, and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loads, which remained over and above them that was eaten. So what was in the hand of that little boy? What was in his hand? He used what he had. When you use, bring to here, bring to this ministry what you have. When you do that, we increase. This ministry increases. 
when you, come on, we're not here just to fill, fill a seat. Everybody's got a plan. Everybody's got a purpose. And you're here on purpose and for God's plan. And if you let him work in you, it's him that's working in you. He will empower you to do what he's called you to do. And pastors always said it so many times, his calling should scare you. What he's called you to do should scare you. Why? Because only he can do it. So it should scare you, but then it should relax you because it's like, okay, <laughs> you know what? I don't have, <laughs> come on, Jesus, let's go. Amen. Come on, he had five loaves and two and a small bit of fish, and he created a destiny. And we're still talking about him today. Don't know what his name is. Lad. Right? Um, Psalms chapter one, please. Come on, how do you get to your purpose? Here's how we do this. Hallelujah. Psalms 1, blessed is the person that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, or in his word, does he meditate day and night? Well, how are you going to find what your purpose is? Study the word day and night, and he shall be what? Like a tree planted by the rivers of water. I have been planted by this, I've been planted in this place. And um, I haven't moved. There's been so many people from different churches saying, you still there? You still serving him? Yeah. Where else am I, <laughs> Where else am I gonna go? There's the words of life here. Amen? So he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. I have brought forth fruit so much because I've been planted here. Amen. We got a house. That's now chocolate shutters. Hallelujah. <laughs> we got a roof put on, and it, and it ended up being buckskin, but our shutters were burgundy. No. <laughs> we're all together now. It looks good. So, amen. So it brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. We have prospered. As a family, we have prospered. And I look around here, many of you have prospered. From when we first started coming here, come on, we were like the, those, the people in the, the 3D people. <laughs> right? We were messed up. But look at us now. Why? Because we stayed in. Now listen to this in the Passion, the Tree of Life, they call it, and I like that. Um, verse 2. His pleasure and his passion is remaining true to the word of I am. And, but if you take that word of, of passion out of there and you put purpose in there, his pleasure and his purpose is remaining true to the word of I am. Remain true to this word. This word never fails. Meditating day and night in the true revelation night. Woo-hoo! As I was doing, there, there's so many thoughts that were coming, and here's the biggest one recognize when the Lord puts people into your life to lead you to your purpose and to your destiny. I'll say it again. Recognize when the Lord puts people in your life to lead you to your purpose and to your destiny. And then take the next step. Not only recognize them, but serve them. Serve them. I've been doing it. Seems like forever. 
But it's, it's so natural. And it's not just because it's B. Anybody can do that. Right? Let's go to 1 Kings. This is one of my favorite guys. 19. 1 Kings 19, please. You have a purpose. Now, how do you find out what your purpose is? This is how you do it. 1 Kings 19, verse 19. Are you there? Okay. So Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elisha went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then he walked away. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Um, Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said, um, first, let me go and kiss my father and my mother goodbye, then I'll go with you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I've done to you. Think about this. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. And he used the wood from the plow to build the fire to roast their flesh. And he passed around the meat to the townspeople. They all ate. Look at this. And he went with Elijah as his assistant. New, uh, King James says he ministered unto him. New King James says he became his servant. New Century says he became his helper. But here's the biggest one. The message says he became his right-hand man. He became his right-hand man. What did he do? He served them. But he started as, you know, you think about the, this was done in steps too. He, he, he was an assistant, then he ministered, became his ser servant, became his helper, became his right-hand man. You just don't go from, from uh, assisting to becoming right-hand man right away. There's steps in between. There's growth that has to be done, right? And your growth will be proven on the battlefield. Have you done the last thing you were told to do? Have you done the last thing you were asked to do? Say a lot. Lot. Second Kings chapter three, please. Second Kings three. Verse 11. What was he known for? Elisha was known for one thing. And I'll just read the, the last part of verse 11. Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. That's what he was known for. He is known for the guy that, that you just want to pour water on his hands. So many people used to say, come up to me and say, oh, you're that guy that works with Pastor Gary. You're the guy that carries all the books to all the full gospel businessmen's uh, <laughs> meetings and sets up the tables. You're that guy. I was, I was known as that guy. I'm that guy that hangs around with this guy. I was we. Yeah, every time pastors said, I think we should do something, well, I was we. But we made it happen. Because there's a whole pile of we's in here. We could not do we alone. <laughs> Terrible English, but I'll tell you what, it makes sense. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, please. Yep, just back a page. And it would come to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that I, Elijah went um, with Elisha from Gilgal. And this whole story is so good. But um, 
Where are we going to take this? Because each place he went, when he went to Gilgal, that was one, one place, and he followed him. Then he went to Bethel. That was another spot. And all of these are, are different places of death, different places where he died to self. And I remember Gary DeVoe taught this, and I still have the notes for that. And he, Gilgal was a place. Bethel was a place. Jericho was a place. Jordan was the ultimate place. Jordan was a nevertheless. And, he, and, and let's take it in verse 6, and, and the very last verse. Or last part of verse 6. As the Lord liveth, and as I so liveth, I will not leave you. I will not leave you. Verse 9. And it came to pass that when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what shall I do for you before I be taken away? And Elisha said, I pray, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Come on. Why was he able to ask that? Because he served. He became his right-hand man. And in verse 10, it says, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken, it shall be so unto you. Stick with me. Stay with me. Acts 13, please. I remember when I was working for Pastor, and um, we were working at Savalite, and Vic, um, Vic Rainville, and, and Pastor was uh, just getting ready to to leave the business, go full time into the ministry, and I'm working for him, and he and he's, and he's telling me, yeah, we're gonna, I'm gonna, uh, God's told me to do this, and it's time to to launch out, and I said, good. When are we going? That was the first thing out of my mouth. And wisdom said, no, you need to work. <laughs> and I listened because it wasn't my time yet. It wasn't my time. Now look at Acts 13, um, verse 13. Acts 13, 13. Now when Paul and his company loosed from, from Paphos, they came to per Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, he returned to Jerusalem. New Living says, there John Mark left them and returned. God's word says, John Mark deserted them and went back to Jerusalem. The message says, that's where John called it quits. How many people do you know that have been sent on a mission, got halfway through the mission, and all of a sudden they call it quits? And they departed. That wasn't his purpose. That wasn't his destiny. But don't you, you know what? God is so good. Even when we quit, he's faithful. And he'll get you, he'll get you to the other side. But that was his defining moment. And it, it, his moment, a moment of truth, the point of no return, crunch time, and I like <laughs> high noon. Lenny Swood. <whistles> what are you going to do? The situation is there. Acts chapter 15, please. Can you handle a couple more verses? Acts 15. Because we're not going to leave, we're not going to leave Mark just uh, split and quit. And he doesn't leave us either. Acts 15, 36. It says, uh, New Living Translation. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. What a cool thing. Let's go, let's go preach and just see how everybody's doing. 
Come on. Let's go to the Philippines and see what's going on with Pastor Eric and Pastor Pete. Let's go to Ukraine and see how Pastor Gregory's doing. In the spring. Woohoo! Yeah. Verse 37, Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark deserted him in Pamphylia. So there, there's flesh that gets in the way because the guy quit on him. So you don't want to take a quitter with you. And, and it says, and, and not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him, sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas as he left. The believers entrusted to him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. Mm -mm -mm. And the message says their tempers flared. They end up going their separate ways. What happened? A defining moment. But it was, it was a defining moment. It wasn't his only defining moment. We all have different defining moments that define us. Stuff happens. But Jesus said, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So when stuff happens, don't let it happen because you have a purpose. Now how do you find yours? 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're getting ready to land. Are you almost ready? 2 Timothy chapter 4, please. Verse 9. I love this. It says, Do your diligence to come shortly unto me. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and he's departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens and Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark. Now he's requesting him. Why? Because he's been proven for promotion. He says, bring him with me, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. New Living Translation, it says, he'll be helpful to me in my ministry. But here's the kicker. The Message Bible says, he'll be my right-hand man. He'll be my right-hand man. Each defining moment propelled him to the point of his greatest achievement and his greatest purpose. So, you have a purpose, and this is how you find yours. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.